0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining me today. And I want to encourage you to make plans to celebrate the resurrection by going to church. Now, listen, if you're not part of a church family, I want to personally invite you on Easter Sunday to worship at Hickory Ridge Community Church. We're going to do a 7 o'clock service, an 8.30 service, and an 11 o'clock service on Easter Sunday. And then between our second and our third service, we're going to have an amazing Easter egg hunt. Now, we're going to do it a little different this year, and we're inviting the parents to join their children. And we're actually going to go through the Stations of the Cross so that not only are our children picking up eggs and finding eggs, but they're going to also be learning the story of the Resurrection Oh, I can't wait for Easter Sunday. I look forward to seeing you. So, would you please consider joining us Easter Sunday, seven o'clock, or eight thirty, or eleven o'clock, and Easter egg hunt at nine forty-five. Well, today is part two on this subject of desires, 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 desires. It was E.M. Bounce who says, "Desire is the will in action." You see, godly desires should be. Guiding us, maybe the best way to figure this out is to think about an illustration that I read about by J.D. Greer, and he says, "Think of our relationship with Christ like a balloon." Now, there are two ways to keep a balloon up in the air. If you fill a balloon with your breath, the only way to keep it up in the air is to continually smack it upward, right? And you've done this, right? Well, that's how religion keeps us motivated. Sometimes I feel this way myself. People come to church on Sunday and I feel like I got to smack them and get them up in the air, get them lifted up, and then they start to drift on and then you got to smack them again to get them up there in the air. And I'm not talking about literally. I hope you know that. But you know, you have to constantly encourage people to stay pumped up, stay pumped up. As a matter of fact, one Sunday, I brought a tire pump to church And I says, sometimes I feel like my job is to constantly fill up these tires, and through the week, they have a slow leak, and by the time they get to church on Sunday morning, they are half flat. They need to be pumped up again. Well, religion does that, right? You got to constantly motivate people, constantly say, come on, you can do it, and say, come on, put your big boy pants on. You can handle this thing. Come on, let's get going. That's one way to motivate people. But there's something even better than that, right? as you realize, there's another way to keep a balloon afloat. And that's instead of filling with human air, fill it with helium. And then you need a string to hold that balloon from going off. When I think about that, people that follow godly desires, they don't need a lot of external motivation. They have the Spirit of God living within them. They've got that helium living within them, and they're people that you have to kind of hold them back, right? You don't have to keep pushing them out. You have to hold them back. Well, I want to encourage you to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, follow godly desires, and there are some definite benefits for that. Yesterday, we talked about what desires mean. We talked about the definition of desire following that human inclination. We talked about what happens When we follow negative desires, and let me quickly just give you a real quick summary, okay? If you allow your human desires to lead you, you're going to be living a life of deception. James talks about that. He says, when you're dragged away by your own evil desires, that is human desires, it conceives, it brings birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And then he says, don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters. You see, human desires drag us into evil desires. And then we learned, secondly, that human desires can also lead us to live a life of distortion and perversion. As we follow these human desires, we actually become disgraceful to the grace of God. Jude says that they were using the grace of God And they were turning it into a license for immorality. Listen, if you're living a lifestyle of immorality, I don't care how you try to twist it, how you try to manipulate it. That is a disgrace to grace. When the Lord Jesus Christ saves you, there is a moral, a spiritual, there's a transformation that takes place only made possible by the sovereignty of God himself. If you can live a lifestyle of immorality, it's because you've never been born again. And I'm not talking about you messed up occasionally. I'm talking about the one who says there's nothing wrong with living a lifestyle of immorality. I can be an immoral Christian, which is really a contradiction of terms. Listen, when you come to Christ, you are a new creation, The old is done away with. Behold, all things become new. My desires become new. I no longer follow the desires of my flesh. I now follow the desires of Christ. And then we learn there's a third problem with living a life of human desires. You're deceived and you're going down a lifestyle of perversion. But number three, you're condemned by God. And I just want to read John 3 17 and 18. You see, God didn't send his son. Into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. If we just stop there, this sounds like nobody's going to be condemned, but there's a very clear qualifier here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so John gives us the verdict. This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world. But men love darkness. They desire darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And then we learned yesterday there's one final problem with following human desire, and that is you'll be separated from God. If you die only following your human desires, you one day will be separated from God with no opportunity to get right with Him. Listen, today is the day of salvation. Why not today? Surrender your desires to His desires and be born again. You see, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 that when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, we think about A righteous man. Maybe somebody would die for a righteous man. Perhaps for a good man, somebody would even die. But God, when He demonstrated His love for us, He sent His one and only Son. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, I want you to know God can take your godly desires and He can use them to change your life. Here are some things benefits, let's call them for following godly desires. Romans chapter 10, verse number one. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Now listen, bad desires never lead you in a good direction. Godly desires always lead you in a good direction. In the New Testament, there are six words for the word desire. All six are used in the New Testament. In five out of six cases, the word desire could be used for something good or something bad. We can have good desires or we can have bad desires. Bad desires are often called lust, good desires, good pleasure, good purpose, good will. And the word that Paul uses here is the Greek word yedokia. This Greek word is used nine times in the New Testament. Only one time is Paul using it, and all the other times that it's being used, it's using it in a different context. Jesus used the same word, but in Romans 10.1, it is rendered as a desire for only good pleasure, only good purpose. You see, there's a different derivative of that word that it, when it's used elsewhere, but Paul uses that word eudokia, Which means this is a desire that is a God-given desire. It is a desire to know only what is good and only be driven for what is good. It says God works in you both to do and to do his will for his good pleasure. So Paul is using the fact that God is working in us and he gives us good desires and they come from him. So when Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they be saved, it is this desire that God has given him. It's a heavenly desire that God placed in the heart of Paul. Paul's not saying this is my desire as a human desire. He's saying this is a God-given desire. This is the longing of my heart. You see, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God. Nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. And when Paul learned that, and when Paul experienced that, all of a sudden his desires changed. He no longer followed his own guidance. He followed the wisdom of God. So when we are surrendered to godly desires, it determines my direction. Paul is looking out and he's seeing his friends, the people of Israel, and he wants them to be saved. He says, I understand what it's like to be under that delusion. He says, for many years, I thought I was doing God's will and and doing God's work, but in reality, I wasn't. I was actually being led by my own human desires. There's a second benefit of following godly desires. Not only does it determine my direction, Paul says, my direction now is to share the gospel wherever I go, but it also develops our discernment. We can figure out what's right and what's wrong and why it's right and why it's wrong. Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Paul says, you know what? I'm looking at my beloved Jewish friends. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is a misdirected zeal. They don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way... They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. They had a wrong discernment. You know, there's three problems with wrongly discerning any kind of situation. Number one, Paul says they had a misdirected zeal. Oh, there was lots of enthusiasm, but it was misdirected out of ignorance. Another phrase, misdirected zeal, conveys our ability as human beings to become convinced that an idea or a belief is not true. Our self-centered conviction can lead us to zealous behavior, but this behavior doesn't make the conviction any truer. The phrase misdirected zeal conveys our ability as human beings to become convinced about an idea or a belief that isn't true. Our self-centered conviction can lead us to be zealous in our behavior, but in this behavior, it doesn't make the convictions any truer. I read a funny little story. I guess you could call it misdirected zeal. They're a group of Minnesota teenagers, and they were apprehended recently for stealing a cake from a local uh, grocery store. Well, this store had a big cake on display. You know, it's embarrassing enough that you got caught by the authorities for stealing a cake. And then it was discovered that this large cake that they had stolen was not even real. It was a cardboard display cake. Well, see, the grocery store decided not to press charges but the local police department and the news stations, I did find an opportunity for some fun, posting the story with a phrase like, no cake for you or, or, or not so sweet surprise. Here we have some teenagers that had some, some zeal to grab some cake, but it was misdirected zeal. Paul is looking out at his Jewish friends, and he's convinced that they are enthusiastic for God, but they are misdirecting their zeal. There's something else that happens. When we have wrong discernment, not only will we be misdirected in our zeal, but number two, we'll we'll misunderstand righteousness. You see, Paul says they don't understand God's way of making people right with Him. They misunderstood even their own law, we learn later on in this chapter of Romans 10. Now, everything about the Jewish religion pointed to the coming of the Messiah, their sacrifices. That was done. You would sacrifice a lamb without spot. That was a picture or a foretelling of the Lamb of God, the Messiah, who comes to take away the sins of the world. Even their priesthood was designed to point to the coming of the great high priest. Even their temple services were designed to worship the Lamb of God. Even all of their religious festivals and all of their covenants that they had was designed to direct them toward the coming of the Messiah. Their law told them they were sinners and in need of a Savior. But instead of letting the law bring them to Christ, they worshiped the law and rejected the Savior. The law was supposed to be this signpost pointing away, but it could never take them to their destination. The law couldn't give righteousness. It only leads the sinner to the Savior who can make them righteous. You see, Christ is the end of the law in the sense that through his death and his resurrection, he has terminated the ministry of the law for those who believe. The law is ended as far as a Christian is concerned, and that the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled in the life of Christ and in the life of the believer through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the law no longer has rule over us. Paul says in Romans 6, 14, we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And so Paul quoted from the Old Testament to prove to his readers that they didn't even understand their own law. He begins quoting Leviticus 18, and he says, the purpose of the law, if you obey it, you live, but you can't obey it. But we tried to obey it, they argued. They believed they were. And Paul says, Well, you may have had some outward obedience, but you didn't believe it from the heart. And then he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 through 14. And he gave them the passage even a deeper meaning. He says, the theme of Moses, the message that he was given, these commandments that he was given, referring to the word of God. Moses is arguing that the Jews had no reason to disobey the word of God because. It had been clearly explained to them, and they were very far off. In fact, Moses urged them to receive the Word of God in their hearts. The emphasis in Deuteronomy is on the heart, on the inner spiritual condition, and not on mere outward obedience. Oh, my heart breaks for people that are, are zealous for God but they misunderstand God's way of righteousness. As you're listening to this broadcast, it is right around Ramadan. And I think about millions of people who will wake up very early this morning. They'll get up about three o'clock this morning. They'll have their last meal for the rest of the day before the sun rises. And they will spend their 30 days in this fast praying five times throughout the day. They won't have anything to eat until the sun sets. And and as you know, each day uh, is getting longer and longer and longer because of the time of the year that Ramadan is taking place this year. And and so they're going to go 13, 14, 15 hours without eating. Uh, They take a meal before they go to bed, and and they're going to repeat the thing all over again. And they're going to be very zealous about maintaining this fast. They're going to be very precise in how they pray and what direction they pray. They're going to make sure that the environment in which they pray is clean. They're going to make sure there's going to be no interruptions during their time of prayer. They're going to be very precise in how they conduct themselves over the next 30 days during the month of Ramadan. Now, I don't say this to insult anybody, but I want you to know that all the prayers in the world cannot make a person righteous before God. All the fasting in the world cannot make a person righteous before God. We are made right with God through Jesus Christ, through what he has done for us. He has fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law by taking the wrath of God upon himself as he died on that cross every sin of every person that has ever lived or has ever lived or will ever live was placed upon the cross, placed upon Christ. It was made available for everyone. And Paul's heart is breaking. And my heart breaks for those who don't know Christ because they are working their fingers to the bone. And yet they're not feeling the satisfaction of being forgiven. They're not set free from their trespasses and their sins. Listen, when the Lord sets you free, when Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. No more guilt, no more shame, no more pain. He sets you free. And my prayer for you today is that you will experience the new birth found only in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that will be made right with God. Well, I've got to give you a third point. When it comes to a zeal or it comes to misdirected discernment, you have a misdirected zeal. You have a misunderstanding of what God's righteousness is. And then number three is that you live a life in which you have misplaced trust. Paul gives us the spiritual understanding of this new commandment and the word Christ, God's word dwelling in us. And he talks about how we should put our trust in him. And Paul actually quotes Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. And he says that there's only salvation by faith in Christ. Isaiah 28:16 says, Whoever shall believe in him shall not be ashamed. And he quotes this verse again in Romans 9, 33. And he makes it clear in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that salvation is by faith as we believe in our heart and receive God's righteousness. Then we confess Christ openly and without shame. You see, two things happen at conversion. Paul says that God begins to work in our hearts. We're no longer following human desires, but now our heart is following Christ and we receive God's righteousness. But it doesn't stop there. He says, then we confess Christ openly with our mouths without shame. You see, Paul understood the power of the gospel and that it radically changed your life. He couldn't be quiet about it any longer. He couldn't help himself. He had to speak up on it because it was his very nature that was changed, his very desires that were changed. And because he was so radically changed, it just naturally came out of his mouth. I want to challenge you today. If you've been truly born again, you will be sharing the testimony of being born again. Well, we've talked about some benefits of living a life in which you are having desires for God. It will, it will determine your direction. It will develop discernment in your life. But then, number three, it will drive your devotion. Paul says, Romans 10, 4, that Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Oh, my friends, we should be completely devoted to Christ because he's already completely paid for our sins. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life is not wasted. Your life is full of purpose, and it doesn't really matter how long you live because the greatness of our lives is not based upon the duration of our life. It's always the donation of our life because Christ has changed us. Well, I've just got a few minutes left in the broadcast today, but I want to tell you about a missionary whose short life makes us examine our lives. In Egypt, there's an abandoned graveyard. It's located at the end of a garbage-lined alley. And as you look at this tombstone, you will read the name William Borden, born 1887, died 1913. William Borden was the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. William was a millionaire by age 21, but he renounced his fortune, giving nearly all of his wealth to missions. His heart's desire was to take the gospel to the Muslims in China. On his way to China, William stopped in Egypt to study and learn Arabic. But four months later, he contracted spinal meningitis, and he died at the age of 25, The tombstone describes his love for Christ and his commitment to and his love for the Muslim people and his sacrifices for God's kingdom. The gravestone inscription ends with these words. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. I want to ask you, where are the desires of your heart? When Borden's parents were given his Bible, they found the following. Just after he renounced his fortune to go on to the mission field, he wrote the words, no reserve. His father told him he would always have a job in the company, but later on he changed his mind and his father says, if you go on the mission field, don't ever come back here. You'll never work for this company again. At the time that Borden wrote in his Bible, the phrase no retreat was a time when they learned that he had decided that he was never coming back home. He was going to spend the rest of his life sharing the gospel with those Muslim people that he loved. Then he discovered in his Bible these words shortly before his death, no regret. Borden lived a life with no reserve, no retreat, and no regrets. Oh, my friend, if you will take the light in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. My prayer is that you will follow the Lord and you will follow the desires that He gives you. And as a result, you will discover that He gives you all the other desires. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash one eight nine zero five five seven or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at thirty three twenty Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are nine AM and ten thirty AM. We'd love for you to join us. For more information,